Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to go to chapter 62, uh, verse 62, sorry. Okay, so just going to read a few verses from the Bible and listen to the words that are recorded for us 2,000 years ago. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember while he was still alive, that, uh, still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he has been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb secure, as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on it, on the stone, and posting a guard. Then it goes on to say in Matthew 28, After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. I love that little phrase, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Almost finished. Verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. In fact, some people still use this theory, the stolen body theory, but it doesn't hold water. We're thinking about the resurrection today. Have you ever heard that phrase that somebody is a walking miracle? He's a walking miracle. She's a walking miracle. Have you heard that phrase? Have you used that phrase? Perhaps you have. And by that we generally mean that somebody has overcome the odds, they've defied uh, nature or whatever it is, there's just something about their life that looks incredible. And it may be due to a miracle and it may not be due to a miracle. But Jesus' life was literally a walking miracle. In the Bible, it talks about Jesus. It talks about his 
his, his life, his place of birth, his death, his resurrection, all the things that we see happening in the Gospels are predicted beforehand. There are hundreds of predictions. The Bible calls them prophecies. And to have all of those come true in one person, in one place, and at one time in history is, to say the least, statistically impossible. Highly improbable would be even a mild way to say it. It's statistically impossible. And so, statistically, it's a miracle because it just should never have happened. What Mary, Jesus' mother, said about Jesus was miraculous. The way that she had experienced God before the birth of Jesus. And what Joseph testifies about is miraculous. The incarnation, God coming into human form, is a miracle. It really is miraculous. The fact that Jesus escaped Herod's murderous actions was also miraculous. The sinless life of Jesus, even as a boy, now that is a miracle. Because I've been a boy. Okay? And I know how much of a miracle that is. And there's somebody here to witness that <laughs> this morning. I'll tell you just how much of a naughty boy he was at times. But Jesus' obedience was miraculous. Just think about it. Think about his obedience to God's will, to his Father's will. That was miraculous. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, performed many miracles and signs. His life was characterized by the miraculous. And finally, the resurrection was, in fact, a miracle. It was miraculous. There's no way that that could have happened. Now, we pray. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Your kingdom, our Father who art in heaven. There's the King James Version coming out. Hallowed be thy name. His name was so holy that the Jewish people then and now don't even feel that they should use that name. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. And sometimes, I remember back to my days in the boys' brigade, we would say this prayer as we were gathered together on parade every Friday night. We would say this prayer. And it's easy to say a prayer like that just out of routine, out of rote. I just realized that's still up on the screen behind me. Bye-bye. Just switch that off, Josh, for me, please. Thanks. We're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're asking, when we're saying that and we're praying that and we're believing that prayer and there's life in us when we're praying it, we're not just doing it out of rote. Then what we're asking for is something from his kingdom, from a heavenly kingdom, to come and happen on earth. Things which are impossible on earth, but possible in heaven. We are praying and asking God, his kingdom to come and his will be done. And I sometimes look at myself and think, the very fact that I believe what I believe is a miracle. You know, the resurrection was a turning point in history. A miracle. And C.S. Lewis says this, the first fact in, his, in the history of Christendom is a number of people who say that they have seen the resurrection. Tells us that Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. 500 people at one time. 
there's 120 people in this room who all saw the eggs getting stolen. 120 people who can testify to the one act that happened at that particular point in time. Now, if we were thinking about it, we could write that down and we can say this is the account of what happened and we could put it in a little box and we'd maybe bury it in the garden and a hundred years later or two hundred years later or a thousand years later somebody could come and dig that up and look at it and say on the 16th of April 2017 a little cheeky boy stole some Cadbury's cream eggs and everybody saw it happen but there was one guy doing a talk up the front who didn't believe it. What would we do with that 2,000 years later? You'd say, well, what's the point of that? But what if the point of what we read changed our lives and we experienced a miracle? People who have seen the resurrection. If these people, as C.S. Lewis says, if they had died without making anyone else believe this gospel then no Gospels would ever have been written. It's incredible. The resurrection is a turning point in history and a cornerstone of Christian belief. And without it, there is no Gospel. I've been in churches where on the wall it says, we preach Christ crucified. And I'm not criticizing that. But the reality is that in those days, Hundreds, if not thousands of people were crucified. And if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, he would have been one of that vast number of people that were crucified. What distinguishes Jesus is that he rose on the third day. The Jewish leaders were scared that something might happen. And so they put a seal on the stone. They put a guard at the tomb so that they could be sure that nothing would happen. No shenanigans no funny business. No disciples coming to steal the body away. The reality is if, the, if you stop to think about where the disciples were at, it would never have occurred to them to do that. Because even when Jesus appeared to them, some of them still didn't believe. So perhaps we could have a sign in our church saying, Jesus Christ raised to life again. See, the resurrection is a foundational teaching of the Christian church. It's a turning point in history. And just incidentally, did you know these days that political correctness is telling us that we can't use AD, no, no, other way, BC, before Christ, and AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord? Political correctness has changed it to BCE, before Common Era, and CE, Common Era. And in order to explain that, we need to go back to the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because it's the same turning point in history. But out of political correctness, we're trying to get the name of Jesus out of our dating system. Who it revolves around just blows my mind. It's a turning point in history. It's also a key doctrine, a key teaching of the church and Paul addresses this issue when he speaks to people at Corinth. And the issue is about the teaching of the resurrection. Now, it was true in Paul's day that not everybody believed in the resurrection. Okay? And Paul finds himself before 
the Sanhedrin. This is what it says in Acts chapter 23, verse 68. Then Paul, knowing that some were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. Paul's here under trial for preaching the gospel. He's speaking to these leaders, and he knows that amongst these leaders, there is a division of thought around the resurrection. He claims to be a Pharisee, and he is a Pharisee, and the Pharisees believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees, on the other hand, don't believe in the resurrection and some other things beside. And Paul throws a spanner into the works. And these guys, listen to what it says. When he said this, a dispute broke out between them, between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. You see, the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and that they are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Paul throws a spanner into the works. This is his teaching that Jesus has raised from the dead. And what happens is that the Pharisees back Saul while the Sadducees shout out against them. The fundamental argument is the resurrection. And Paul deals with this subject when he writes to the church at Corinth, again where there appears to be division in the church around resurrection. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. It's an interesting passage to read. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? That's talking about us now. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then it's all a big waste of time. Verse 15, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses. We use some witness testimonies this morning to find out where the cream eggs had gone. Sherlock did some super snooping and found them, and now he's playing on his phone. Still watching you, Cameron. False witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. And that word means that it's empty of any results. Your faith, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then our faith is an empty faith. There is no results from it. It's not achieving anything. And that we're still in our sins. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost, the people who we love who have died. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Paul knew that the resurrection was a fundamental teaching in the church. And so he nailed this home with the church at Corinth. He needed them to understand that the resurrection was real. Jesus' resurrection was real. Therefore, our resurrection is also real. This is what he says in verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. It changes everything. It changes everything. And Paul goes on to clarify this. 
He talks about Jesus being the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Jesus was the first person to die and be raised to life. Therefore, we know that we, when we die, will also be raised to life. There's more to life than just what we see in this body. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope, then we are to be pitied more than all men. But it's not just for this life. It's for a life that goes beyond this life. And Adam, through his disobedience, brought sin into the world. He brought death into the world. Christ brought life. A life that we can experience, a full life. You see, it worked out just as God said it would. What did God say? If you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. And they ate of the fruit. And they didn't die right away, but spiritually they died. And eventually, physically, they died as well. So it worked out just as God said it would. And for some of us, I think we need to remember that what God has said will always work out. God's word will always work out. And God's promises to us will always work out. Sometimes there's a condition to the promise. If we keep the condition, God will keep his promise. But there are things which God has said to us, and we need to maybe go back and look at those things and hold on to those things and say, if God has said it, then God will do it. Jesus, through his obedience, brought reconciliation, and he brought life. The life that he talked about with Nicodemus. What did Nicodemus say? How can I live forever? Nicodemus, the man who came to Jesus in secret. Nicodemus, the man who came to Jesus in the shadows. Nicodemus, the man who eventually came along with Joseph of Arimathea and took Jesus' body down from the cross and put it in the tomb. A man who was hiding at the start, but then who professed his faith in Christ at the end. This is what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the important word, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It has been accomplished through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's all possible because of that. You know, there was an attempted cover-up. And I plan to go into this, but maybe, maybe we'll just kind of touch on some points. We read the verse earlier from Matthew. Matthew 26, uh, 27 we started in. And talks about, we remember, this is the Pharisees saying, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, they couldn't even use Jesus' name, they said that deceiver said that on the third day he will rise. And so they sought to make the tomb secure. It was the day after preparation day. Preparation day being the Friday. So it was the day after that when they went to make the tomb secure. They put a seal on the tomb, whatever that looked like. They posted a guard at the tomb as well. And we read in this account that when the angel came, the guards fell as dead. Some of them went back and said what had happened. And the Jewish leaders tried to pay them off 
to keep quiet because they didn't want this story getting out. And what really strikes me, and we said this when the kids were out the front, seven weeks later, seven weeks, only seven weeks, Peter is standing up in front of this crowd of Jewish people who had gathered, and he explains the gospel to them. And it says that they're cut to the heart, and they say, what must we do to be saved? And 3,000 people were added to the church that day, seven weeks after the resurrection. These things happened while people could have went and examined the facts for themselves. They could have done their own super sleuthing. They could have went to the tomb. They could have questioned the disciples. They could look to see if their stories all matched up. But the reality is that Jesus appeared time and time and time again to people over the course of those 40 days. And then he went back to be with his father. And on Pentecost, 3,000 people are added to the church. Absolutely incredible. At a time where you could have went and examined the evidence for yourself, the Jewish authorities didn't come up with the body and say, it's all a big hoax. He's here, still dead. They couldn't do that because, not because he'd been stolen away, but because he had risen. And so the great fact of our faith is that it rests on the resurrection. You know, we looked in the Alpha videos at how reliable the New Testament scriptures are. How they're so much more reliable than any other ancient writing that we have access to. And yet we doubt the resurrection. People today are like me standing at the front and saying, no, I didn't steal the cream eggs. You're just imagining it. All of you guys are imagining it, and I'm right. Black is white, white is black. But the reality is that we have this written down for us so that our faith can be strong. And not only do we have the facts written down for us, we have the reality in our hearts. The risen Christ through the Holy Spirit lives within our hearts. And the reality is that we can experience that resurrection life in us today. Yes, our physical bodies get older, grow weaker, get greyer. Some of us who are celebrating our 50th birthdays this year. But we know this, that we shall rise again. As Jesus rose from the dead, we will rise again to newness of life with a new body. I would quite like to be more kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger the next time round. But who can put it better than the Holy Spirit? Listen to what he says through the hand of Paul. Listen, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 55. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. What he's saying is that not everybody will die, but everybody will be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Incredible. I remember when I was wee, we used to stay at Dildowie. Uh, my dad was the charge hand in the crematorium. And uh, I remember, you know, just bear with me for a little second. Eh? As a child, you just watch things happening, right? I used to kind of see everything that happened in the crematorium. Some of the things I shouldn't have seen. 
they used to take the ashes and they would scatter the ashes in this big field which we called the glade. And I remember saying, I don't want to be down the glade when Jesus comes back. Why not? Because I'll get lost in the crowd. Simple childlike way of understanding it. But this is what it says, that when the trumpet sounds, the dead will be raised imperishable. What an incredible fact. And we will be changed. For the perishable, you're looking at it just now, must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with with the imperishable, bear with me, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, where, oh, death is your victory? Where, oh, death is your sting? What an incredible hope. Not just for this life. And my prayer is that we allow these truths to penetrate the very core of our being. May we be renewed in our faith and in our purpose and our commitment to Jesus. May we take courage and comfort from this tremendous truth. He is not here. He is risen. Somebody believes it. And may we allow the very life of Christ to flow in us and through us and out from us. We have an incredible hope. We have an incredible faith. We have an incredible Savior who has made it all possible. Let's seek to draw closer to Him and may His life that resurrection life, that life that's fullness of life, may we experience it in our whole being, body, soul, and spirit. Let's pray as the musicians come back up and sing a closing song and take up our offering. Thank you, boys and girls. You've been wonderful, even listening to the message as well. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you that it's a fact of history. Father, we thank you that that fact can be examined and it can be scrutinized and that we can know that we stand on a fact, we stand on a truth. Father, we thank you that we have experienced that truth in our hearts. We thank you that we have experienced that life in all its fullness in our very being. And Father, we pray that you continue to transform us from day to day, from week to week, from month to month, Father, we pray that we would be changed through the knowledge of this truth in our hearts and that you would accomplish your purposes in us. So, Father, we just give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We thank you that we're able to gather here on Easter Sunday and celebrate the resurrection. Celebrate the fact that you have raised Jesus to the life. And, Father, we thank you that that same power which raised him to life is the same power that works in us. Mm. And, Father, we pray that you'd forgive us for our faith being too small for our faith not reaching out and grasping up to all that you can do for us and through us. And Father, we just pray that you'd renew our faith, renew our passion for you, renew our zeal for you. And Father, we pray that we would be ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ, for your glory. And may your purposes prevail. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, may we see your kingdom rule in our lives here in this church, in this fellowship here, in your churches in this area. Father, may we see your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.